Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 101. Today's guest name is Jeff Smith. Jeff was Entrepreneur of the Year for one of the companies that he ended up selling. I met him at the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award in Palm Springs and I was was chatting with him and he was telling me all these different stories about multiple companies that he had started, grown and sold. Everything from a brick and mortar business to a software company to a healthcare company and now he's in the dental business and I'm just sitting there going, Wow, I have to have you on the show because that's ridiculous. How do any of those different industries correlate? Well, after hearing Jeff's story, it's about creating value in the marketplace, creating a good experience, growing people, and really understanding where that business and that industry is going. So Jeff has so many different pieces of good wisdom throughout the different stories that he tells. So he shares how he grew and sold some of the companies. Then him and I get into a really good conversation about how he balances his passion and love for growing value and mentoring people with the eventual exit and with the eventual financial situations that you're going to have to deal with. And he has three different priorities that he discusses on how he's able to balance that mentally and capitalize on everything that he's grown and the value he's created within his companies. So I really think that this is a must listen to. He's got a lot of different experience from the different exits and the different ways he's capitalized on his ventures as an entrepreneur. So without further ado, here's Jeff Smith. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Jeff, how you doing? Great. Thanks looking, for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. You and I met at Palm Springs on a, on a really nice day at the Entrepreneur of the Year Award uh, conference by EY. And unfortunately, we're not there right now, but you and I got a, a little bit of a taste of that after having some conversations about surfing and all the fun stuff that you enjoy doing. But you know what really caught my attention when we when we were chatting at lunch is how many different things you've done, and you had told me you went, oh I was doing mortar business I had a mortar business a software business and now I'm doing dental and so I just was too intrigued to not get you on the show, um, but you know maybe for the listeners Jeff let's let's go back like when did you decide or accidentally jump into I mean what was your first entrepreneurial deal like how did you end up becoming and deciding or jumping in with both feet. Well, I was in high tech for almost 18 years. So I had a, um, I had a, a rep firm where I repped um, manufacturers in the computer industry in Southern California. And when computers are really taking off uh, the computer industry, so that was really fun. And then um, I was a company with megahertz that went public. And then I had my own software company that was did internet filtering. And I sold that um, in, a, in Silicon Valley uh, after about five years to a, we did a, uh, sold to a public company. So so I really started in high tech, really, and for several years. So, you know, was it for the sheer exposure that you got from other people that were doing this? Um, you know, so did you start the rep firm or did you, did you like, how did you decide that, okay, I'm going to own this company and here's what I'm going to do? Or was it, you know, just kind of the nature of being in California and kind of the stuff that was going on that you decide, okay, well, this just makes sense? Well, I guess it was kind of my start of being a serial entrepreneur. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and... Um, 
but I just had to find that time, that moment. So I was always kind of looking, but you know, there's that time of, oh, it, I'm secure in a job to how do I move to <laughs> taking the risk and going, right? And so um, luckily I was with a manufacturer that, that said, hey, um, we have manufacturer rep firms and if you wanna be our, our rep in Southern California, we will, because um, our rep had, had retired, um, we would be delighted to have you do it. So it kind of lessened the risk. So I just felt it was a time to go. Hmm. And I found another manufacturer that was willing to have me rep them. And so really from day one, I was doing really well, meaning that there's tr tremendous cash flow from the, from the beginning. So it was just kind of something where you kind of have to keep looking for those opportunities and you have to be patient. And then when the, t when the time comes and you, can, you feel it's the right time, you can do it. So what were the manufacturers? Um, back then it was called megahertz and there's a company called Targus. They make okay. uh, cases and they've been around, you know, for long time, but then I had Kodak digital cameras and then I had Intel way back when they had these different chips that they sold. So this is really like, like 1990 to, to 2000. I had it for almost 10 years. So what are some of the milestones? Cause you know, some of the kind of different avenues I want to go with your experience and is, you know, what your vast amount of accumulated knowledge from these different ventures. Cause you know, a lot of people struggle with the first company that they're building They're you know, it's cash flow and they're just kind of grinding away versus, okay, this is an asset. How am I going to sell? I mean, did you intend to sell it or what was the milestones or the kind of the evolution with the first you know, company that you had? How did you, what kind of mindset and what was the triggering event and how did, how did that whole journey work? Well, I felt like, I think the first time around, I didn't, I didn't, kind of like you, when you all sold your company, I didn't know a lot, you know, I didn't know mm -hmm. actually what happened when I, did, I had my first company. It's kind of like an ad agency. If you have a rep firm, it's kind of like about you. What I mean by that is you're kind of the value. And mm -hmm. so when you leave, there's not a lot to sell. So it's, it's harder. Like when I say an ad agency, if you have a small ad agency, it's hard to sell it because you're kind of, you know, you are the agency really. So that, and I was making all these manufacturers money. Like I would, like somebody would come in the market and we, I would help them Mm -hmm. get into distribution, help them do really, really well and go, wow, I just made them a lot of money. <laughs> and I, I, you know, so I was getting good cash flow. So I was getting paid commissions and doing really, really well. But I realized I wasn't developing a lot of equity. So it was, it was great because I actually was able to accumulate a lot of cash and invest it. And then when I wanted to start my other company later, I had my own money to put in as opposed to just getting investors. I could put my own money in in addition to investors at least, but you know, I'm kind of bought in and mm -hmm. into a deal. So really the first one, I didn't really have much of an exit per se. I sold it and I just got paid over a, like a three year period. But that's when I said, look, I'm going to start a company where I can, where I can get equity and leverage myself. And so that I can, you know, have more of an event, you know, where you're getting, you know, future cash flows and, and, and have a nice event where I can get some cash out and, um, you know, provide some retirement for my family. So the first one, I didn't really, you know, it wasn't a big event. It was a good cash flow along the way, but there wasn't much of a, an event when selling it. Did you, you know, uh, was there like a, an event that happened and said, okay, that was there, like, where was that realization? Did you talk to someone? Did someone say, Hey, by the way, you've got essentially a very high paying job here, or you're going to have to work for someone. Did someone you know, approach you? Where did that realization come in that part of the process? As far as the first one, like, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, where you, you started to realize, oh, okay, the value is me and I'm going to have to work for, you know, three more years of transition relationships. I, mean, I think what happened is literally when I was, I was literally many, repping manufacturers that would come, they'd be new in the marketplace, they'd have this good idea, and I would help them through their distribution and go, wow, I just made these guys a bunch of money and, you know, they sold this thing for 100x, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not doing this myself? And that's when I started right. my first high-tech company. 
after that because I felt like I had connections and knew how to create value from a sales marketing standpoint. And so um, that's when I decided, you know, basically literally being in the middle of helping other people be successful, which is great, by the way. I didn't regret it at all. I just thought, you know, this is probably something I had to think about. And then I learned from them, oh, so you actually raised some money and then you built value and then you sold this company and um, you sold to private equity or, you know, you did a strategic. And I started learning about that process as I saw the manufacturers I represented go through that process of starting up to exiting. And so I literally through through them, I actually saw how that, when I got to be, you know, get relationship to these folks, I started learning kind of how that process worked and how they raised money and, and how they exited and how, and how people, some of them did it pretty well and had thought it through. So I learned from them. So when I did my next company, I, it helped me in raising money and then in um, going through that process and exiting. So let's kind of maybe take it in steps in throughout the, the, the journey here. When you used to, so that, that um, internet filtering company, so you had for five years. So like, did you, what was your thought process going in when you started it? Did you, you know, did you have a certain dollar amount? I mean, with more of the end in mind, what was your goals from, did you think about the exit? Did you think about timing valuations, all that kind of stuff? What was the kind of the, the process there? I think I did and maybe too much. So, I mean, I think that the first thing that I think you need to think about when you're starting a company is just about building value and focusing on that. You know, I mean, you have to think about the exit because you have to have, um, you have to be thinking about how you govern the company if you were going to have an exit, meaning that you have to have good corporate governance and, you know, you can't just be running out spending money, you know, especially if you raise money, of course, then you, then you don't have that. You can't make it like a family business at that point. You have, you have, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your investors, obviously, but of course you have to think about the exit at some level and they make you think about it because you know, the, the investors um, have to have an exit, right? So once you take money, then you have to have an exit, right? You have to have a way for them and you have to understand what their time frame is. You know, I, I mean, some of these guys, their funds are like an eight year fund. And so you or a five year deal. And so you, they kind of, and they even put it in the, in the agreement, you know, that you have to, you have to exit at some point. So unfortunately you kind of have to think that way. Hopefully with private equity or some, or VC, some kind of money that they have, you have a time frame that is realistic to really build value. And so, you know, and of course they can help you as you go along as you, as you bring money in from folks. So did you, you said you didn't raise money in that, in that, that um, internet filtering company. So did you, I did, I actually did. I, I put my own money in it start, which is good it. because I was able to create some value. And in every round I put more of my own money in. So I participated in every round of funding. I think we did like four or five rounds and I put, I put in every round, which I think was very helpful to me because I was able to um, make quite a bit from that as opposed to the, you know, just the common shares didn't do as well. And so I was able to do really well in the investment piece as well as. Can you walk us through that? Cause I, I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of, you know, mystery around, you know, where you find these investors, how do you do the rounds? I mean, what are you pitching to them? You know, what was, what were you describing to them, which was your, you know, your plan and how they were going to be doing it and how they get their money. And I mean, what was, what was the appeal for you and the business for them? When I, when I went to, um, raise money. Um, I told them how I had put my own money in and they, they really liked that a lot that they knew I was kind of invested, you know, I was kind of all in. I think um, when you do a startup, I think that investors want you to kind of be all in. Um, when you get bigger, like a bigger company, like the ones I've done before, you know, my last company was 250 million. Then it almost kind of works against you if you're on because you're very um, timid about things. Cause you're like, if I make one mistake, you know, I lose everything. And especially when, when there's so much there, there's so much value there. So when a startup, I think investors like that you're kind of all in. Um, in a startup mode because they want you to make sure that you're 
that um, you're, you're there for the long haul. Um, so I think having me put money was very good. I think from there, that perspective and some people, if they don't have the kind of funds to put in, you know, they're putting a bunch of sweat equity in typically up front to, to prove, you know, the model out and hit milestones to then collect the next, you know, that then to raise the next money that then the next, uh, so with that many rounds on that first one, what, what what was the exit strategy that you were pitching to them? Did you have like buyers in mind or value? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, so I think we, I told them, I think what I showed them is like, look, clearly there are strategic investors out there and that that's probably the most obvious and they love that. And that's what we ended up doing, by the way, was a strategic. But we also felt like we could, um, we can get, potentially could get private equity um, in that, you know, that we, it was very high margin that we probably could get private equity at, at some point to come in. Uh, but we ended up doing strategic and they really liked that because I think we got a lot more value out of it because um, they could take, you know, one plus one equals 10 for them, right? It was, we provided so much value for them. What were some of the, you know, was there a time horizon and like in, you know, maybe some context behind this stuff is like, you know, I think a lot of people, ideally that it is a strategic buyout, which is what you're uh, moving towards. How did, you know, how did the operational and strategic decisions in the company how did those decisions reflect your ultimate goal? Like, because I think some people will not do certain, not build out certain products if they, you know, if they're going to be competing with the person that they want to sell to. So, like, I think you know, recalibrating all that stuff. How did you, you know, were there certain things that you were doing to march to, uh, that direction? You know, if you think of the book Good to Great, they always talk about you know you, should, you want to be the best at the world or whatever you do. And so sometimes the best way to be the best is to be to make the world smaller, to make sure that you add value. So I was always focusing on. We were, we were, what we did is we provided internet filtering and we were kind of like the Intel inside of URL filtering, if that makes sense. Meaning mm-hmm. that we were building URL filter that would work for, back then they were like firewalls or they were boxes, you know, they were, um, mm-hmm. where they control the, the data flowed in and out of the, the data that flowed in and out. And so we were a, a model that was like an, which is almost like in the cloud before there was in the cloud. It was, they called an ASP model. But back then we had had this idea that, you know, we, the filtering would be off the box. And so you, you, you don't have to weigh that box down. So it really works good for small little hubs that, you know, that you would, I can't think of that. Who are the brands now? Like Linksys or I don't know who the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. back then it was, uh, we were with the top three, Sonic was one of the top three that we had an OEM relationship. So we thought, wow, we'll just focus on being the best at that. We'll be the Intel inside and then we can win at that. So our, our company was probably more of a, was probably more of a, a service on top of another. We kind of realized, gosh, we'd probably be better off just being a service for these big boxes and not have our own box or anything, but just be that piece that they would need and wouldn't really be able to develop. We felt that was something that we could be the, the we could win at and not worry about competing because they'd be better off just using us than they would try try to develop themselves because they have to do whatever they do. So we were able to we got patents on it. We were able to develop something that was unique that would really work with anybody we worked with could use our service and we could be that. Um, mm-hmm. So well, in, in, I think for maybe some context, maybe, what, what are the other companies that you've bought and sold and started and sold? Because that, then I want to maybe you know, circle back Jeff, because I, you know, I think there's all these strategic decisions, like you talked about patents and all these different things that create value. And I think there's a lot of, like a lot of entrepreneurs that they don't really understand where the value is for the different exits. So aligning like the value with the potential buyers, you know, so we can maybe circle back, but okay. what, what was it? What are the, the other couple ones? Cause they're super unique. Yeah. So after that, I, I was really interesting. I bought a brick company. Literally it was a brick <laughs> software to bricks. <laughs> brick and, my buddies always laugh brick and mortar. But what I realized is that there's a lot of boring industries where they're good at their skill. Like for example, if you're a, 
a mason, you're good at being a mason, you're, but you're not necessarily a good business person per se. And so what we realized, and I won't go detail too much, but basically we realized that you realize what's the real value providing. We realize that people just want to have a beautiful home. And so they want the exterior to look good. That's what they really want. And so we said, ah, so we can build a killer showroom. We can take pictures and we can make it a wonderful process for a woman because they're usually ones who are making decisions on the outside of the home, on the <laughs> home itself. Um, so they can literally not make a mistake, right? They can pick these colors that all go together and, and it'll look beautiful on the outside of the home. And so we realized what we, what job we were really doing and we're like, what job we really performing. And we realized the real job was that then it wasn't about bricks so much. It was about, it was about having a pretty exterior and pulling it all together. And then once we figured that out, um, we took over the market and we had the best showroom, we had the best solution for the market. And so everybody came to us. Um, so we really focused on, you know, creating value, but using technology because we were a bit high tech guys for that marketplace to make it easier for everyone. So we had by far the best technology of any of our competitors. So we just made it a much better process using technology. So we thought, gosh, let's use technology in these boring businesses like brick and mortar for heaven's sakes is boring, but we made it. So it was, we, we realized it wasn't about brick and mortar. It was about, you know, it was about picking a, you know, the exterior of your home that you're going to have a mortgage on for 30 years. You know, it's, it's really, it's a big, big, big purchasing decision, right? And if you screw up and don't make it, it doesn't look good. It's very disappointing, right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money that you're like, oops. And so we thought well, if we can make beautiful, help people pick it, that is what we're all about. So we were learning what the real value was and, and um, creating value. Did you buy a company? Did you start one? Yes. So that was the first time I bought one. So before that, I had started from scratch. Mm -hmm. And then I said, man, I like this whole buying idea because then you're already kind of further along. And so <laughs> you got cash flow. <laughs> yeah, you got cash flow. And so we really kind of bought some cash flow in a way. So we started with, you know, like cash flow, right? Like we already pay ourselves salaries and everything. So because we had a couple exits, we had the cash flow to do ourselves. So my business partner and I that was he was with me at Sabarian, which was the company. He actually helped me or him and I to get went in together on this and we we had a 29x return in two years. We literally bought the company and so and five times the business. It's still doing well today, by the way. And five times the business and with the cash flow you put down, it was a 29x return for us over a two wow. year period. So, I mean, I don't know if uh, you're comfortable sharing some of the, the top line. I mean, like how, like what was the size infrastructure, maybe employees or top line? I mean, how, and how did you guys grow so fast? It was kind of smaller. Um, we only had, I think, what, maybe 30 employees or something, but we went, um, we did, I think I want to say we did, I think 40 million. And, and I think our EBITDA, we, um, I think we ended up getting like 13x EBITDA. So, it's a pretty good multiple. Yeah. What was, and was that, was that what kind of a strategic buyer, private equity firm? Who was the, I mean, were, and yeah, was, marching was, towards the exit the whole time? It was a company that was, it was, it was doing building materials. So they, they were doing like, um, um, roofing and siding like nationwide. And so they, they were looking for, they loved our model to, to do it nationwide. They said, you guys are the best we've seen um, for what you do um, for selling exterior solutions. Um, and we want to be able to roll what you do out nationwide. So, you know, we can take it in other markets. We'll just use your model. And did you, know, when you guys bought it, did you, I mean, was you know, thinking about it more like an investment and creating value, like you were saying, did, was there a timing or a dollar amount or like something that you were marching towards or did that kind of, you know, how did that fall? Yeah, I think, well, at the end of the day, we said, look, this, this guy is just have this lifestyle business. He has all these exclusive brick 
and he just, you know, he probably makes 800K a year. And so he doesn't do any marketing and he sells. And we could just tell that he had by far the best brick. And if we marketed and told people about it and created this, the best room in, 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 in the country. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, we found out what, what our job really was that we could do really, really well. And we did, we, we, we just, it's kind of, it was underperforming for what they had. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which is fine. Right. I mean, if you're making 800,000 and you're happy, that's great. You know I mean? You vacation a lot. He just didn't really care to grow it. So just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. We just thought, wow, we, let's let the whole world know about that or, you know, let's let the rest of the state and surrounding states know about it and we can increase the sales significantly. So on a couple of these, um, you know, both of those exits that you've talked about, where did you find the buyers? Did you hire an investment banker? Did you like have someone knock on the door or did you knock, knock on their door? So the biggest one, did, you know, when I met you, I was an alumni for entrepreneur of the year. So the next company I'll just, and then, yeah, yeah, no, keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, well, I won't go. There's one called Clearplex. We did a windshield film for, um, and we ended up selling that. Um, it, it was kind of underwhelming, to be honest with you. I, I kind of started it. We got some patents, and then we just couldn't. It took forever to. After a year or so, I'm like, "This is killing me. Let's just sell part. Let's just sell it off, and then we'll keep a piece of it." It was a windshield film for cars, and we were selling it to like rental car companies. Mm-hmm. And then when we did, I bought this company for about 20 million. Me and my partner did, and we grew it to over 250 million, called Ingram Medical, and um, that was what we got Entrepreneur of the Year for. Me and my partner for Utah. And then we were finalists in national. That's when, so when I met you, that's what I was back for as alumni going back there. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest company. We had 1100 employees. That was like 20 people to 1100. That was the, by far the biggest company, you know, I had been part of. And so um, that was our, probably our biggest and hardest one just because it was a lot of people and a lot of volume. And Well, and what's interesting too is like in, you know, when we were at the EY conference and what, you know, as you kind of look at these different journeys that you've gone through, you know, $250 million in revenue and 1,100 employees, you know, you get the best of the best advice, but I think there's also, you know, there's just holes in the processes all over the place. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, and and so many times, even a company like that, I mean, even look what's going on with you know, um, with Comcast and Disney and all this stuff going right. on right now. It's like, you know, it's really just businesses buying other businesses for, uh, you know, yeah. they're buying cash flow or buying strategies or go to market strategies. But, right. you know, so a lot of that stuff happens naturally out of a conversation. So you're at the EY conference, like, Hey, I should buy you. But like, you right. know, did you know what you wanted and why did you know how much it was worth? Did you have timing? Like did you have people that were helping you engineer sure. that or did yeah. it just kind of come in? So, um, at, I actually used, so there was a, uh, back to Beehive, that was the first time I'd used a, an investment banker. And there was a person that focused on just the building industry. So he said, you know what, you're kind of small, because you know, with investment banking, you typically you need to have a, a certain size, obviously for somebody in your medical, I mean, obviously 250 is a good size. And you know, right, they, right. that was easy to get investment bankers. We were talking to the, the largest, you know, that was easier to get investment banker for that. But it was harder when you're you know, smaller. But I actually found at Boutique one, they focused on that industry. He literally said, you know, I think I got a buyer for you. He literally brought two buyers in the second one bought it. So it was kind of unique in that hmm. it was actually a fairly simple process. We kind of, we wanted, they were willing to pay it. So I was actually kind of surprised, like, wow, that was easy. Um, with Ingram, we actually, um, we did two private equity rounds. So we, we made money, but we just wanted to use them. We made money, very, really good EBITDA, but we wanted to, to um, exit little by little. So we actually did three rounds where we actually sold the private equity to, to sell off little by little. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you, so did you do three rounds of the same PE firm or did you? Different, different. And that way we could keep running the company and have fun, you know, and there's no need to really sell it, but you could kind of, you know, get some, 
get some retirement for your family and, and um, but still own it and just little by little sell it off. So that's kind of how we had, and still keep a piece of the company. But with that one, we actually had, and I actually did a debt round where I used a couple times where I used iBankers for raising debt. And there, you know, there's ones that focus on just that. And that was great because they did a whole process, brought these guys in. It was really very helpful to help you run your business. And can you explain that for the listeners, Jeff? Because like I've had, I've had uh, some people on the show where we've talked about PE recaps and kind of how that works and the second bite of the apple and some of that stuff. But it, um, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot on like actually just raising money for debt. And how, how is that different than equity versus, you know, all the other different ways? Yeah. And so we did, you know, so we did both, we raised money for debt and equity. So that way we get leverage, you know, we could obviously a shareholders because all the money was going to the shareholders and I was, you know, the largest. So I was getting debt money, which was nice because you're still keeping, you know, obviously a lot of the company. And so raising debt obviously is nice because you don't lose any of the company, but you have cash available to you. Uh, and we can put debt on the books for the company and then you can um, mm-hmm. get 1x EBITDA, which is very low. They'll do as much as three or four. So it was, it was pretty low. You know, I mean, we, it was pretty conservative, but allows us to leverage our money. Instead of just getting selling equity, we're also able to put some debt in the books and um, and give shareholders some money to pay out. So, and who are the, the players that are usually, I mean, when there's, so when you say the iBankers actually go out there raising debt, I mean, is it specific banks that they're running their pension funds or like where are they actually finding the debt for, for the whole deal? Um, I think um, when we did it, we just had, we had uh, the iBanker just help, just was going to banks that would provide the debt, you know, okay. or sometimes there's MES depending on the, there's MES mm-hmm. lenders that do just MES only. Um, we were actually going to um, banks, so the bigger banks like Bank of America, things like that. So, what when you started that, you know, the last business you said? So you went from what was the what was the original one to two hundred fifty million? Like how? Like what was it? Kind of, was that? What went from twenty to two fifty? Funny thing is, we, it was completely different business. It was we bought a wholesale business, completely pivoted to direct consumer model. So it was like that money completely went away. So it was almost basically starting from scratch. You know, we, we basically started a new business where we were selling direct to consumer. So we had zero revenue in that area, but we reused the wholesale to kind of get us there, you know, over a couple of year period. And then we just pivoted. Did you, for when, when going from wholesale to direct to consumer, were you upsetting other distributors or anything like that along the way? Or was it a different product or service that you were able to market? Yeah. I mean, in the healthcare, it's kind of, it's very monopolistic. Like, you know, they have only have like three or four major PBMs and, you know, they have exclusive contracts. So yeah, we are definitely disrupting and upsetting people for sure. So, you know, as you look at, you know, all these different ventures that you've gone on and just, I mean, this, the sheer quantity of the people and the, the, the conversations that you're having around value creation returns and, you know, different rounds of financing and stuff like that, you know, what are the different things that you've seen that really have extreme value when you're looking at stuff like that? You know, is it, is it patents? Is it management team? Is it contract? You know, all these different things you've probably seen because, you know, what have you, what, what maybe surprised you or, you know, what did you continue to gravitate towards because you, you saw the success? I think when we're looking for a, an idea, I'm looking for something where I feel like I can, um, provide value. And so what drives me is two things. One is providing value, like just seeing like the new company started jet dental. It's so cool to see this idea and see there's a hole in the market. Like there is definitely dental. I think going to the dentist sucks. And I thought, what if we could make it a better experience? That would be really cool. And so some of those things become very personal, like even to you, <laughs> right. you go, 
I think it sucks. And so if I can make it better, I can relate to it, you know? So we were, so we always look for things where we can create value and I think I'll have fun doing it. Right. Like I said, this will be fun. Like you, you know, I think some people confuse passion with like, you know, like I have a friend, I, I like surfing like, and I do too. I'm like, but I'm not going to start a surfing business. Cause I think that business sucks. <laughs> right. I just don't think, I don't think you can make money. And I want to, you know, I'm in the business to, to make money what I'm doing. Right. The, unless I'm doing a nonprofit. And so I look at the dollar size too, you know, like, well, what I, I mean, the opportunity, I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of opportunities, there's a lot of people in that business. And I just think people think that if they're passionate about something like surfing or some industry, that that's the passion to me, it has nothing, obviously it has nothing to do with what I'm doing so much, meaning that what industry or mm -hmm. whatever it's about, am I creating value and am I making a difference? You know, Ingram Medical, I felt we really made a difference for diabetics lives and the people we work with and Jet Dental were totally making a difference. I mean, you look, you know, I get our, I look every day at the people I work with uh, and, and the people we serve and it's exciting. So to me, it's two things. It's, it's the people I work with and seeing them grow and then seeing that, seeing this, the, you fill a hole in the marketplace and satisfying customers. It's super exciting to me, no matter what you do. It doesn't have to be, you know, surfing, which I enjoy. I mean, that's just a hobby that has nothing to do with work, but. So what's your definition of filling a hole in the market? Um, I just see that where there's a need and I go, wow, we, you know, we can fulfill a need. So what we saw is that people were not getting their teeth clean like they're supposed to, right? Like you're supposed to do preventative, right? You're supposed to get your teeth clean every six months and get an exam and people aren't doing it. And I thought, why? I thought, well, who the hell wants to go to the dentist? And for, you know, you call your dentist. He's like, well, I'm available in four weeks. You know, <laughs> I'm gone these two weeks. And by the way, you can go Monday through Thursday from nine to three. It's like, holy hell, it's worse than the debt. It's worse than the bank. You know? <laughs> these guys, I mean, we say bankers hours. I, we'll call them dentist hours. You know, they're like the, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with dentists. I mean, no, no, yeah, yeah, right. that's not best for the consumer. You know, when do you want to go? I'd rather go at six o'clock at night. I don't want to go, you know, I like to do when I'm at work, come to me. So that's why we had this idea of like, let's just go to businesses, the best businesses in the, in the, in this country. And let's just bring the dentist to them and do it right then and there. And then all of a sudden we got everybody coming. And so now all the people that weren't getting their teeth cleaned are now getting them cleaned. And now they're back getting good oral health. And um, we had found two people had oral cancer. So we basically saved two people's lives because we caught it early. Um, you can get early detection of serious diseases in your mouth if you can get it early. And so we got people back on oral health and feeling better. And that's very rewarding, you know, getting people to, because you're twice as likely with gum, half America has gum disease, and you're twice as likely to get um, a stroke and three times likely to have a heart attack if you have gum disease. I'm like, well, that's kind of a serious thing. And if we can fix that, that'd be awesome. So it's just, I think it's just looking for, you know, for, needs in the marketplace and that's why i think it's kind of unique what i do because i think most people are, are in a business right like maybe they work for ibm they go oh look at this cool idea i'll go and start my company on it when i was with procter and gamble straight out of school i know several guys that left because you know it wasn't a big enough market for png and so these guys said hey look at this hole we found in this consumer packaged goods area right and they start a business mm -hmm. i think it's a little unique to do what i do which is kind of like going a completely different area that's a, that's kind of unique and different i wouldn't recommend it actually i think it's better off to be in an industry you're already in and have contacts and then, you know, find an opportunity or see a need in the marketplace. But I think you have to, it's kind of like heads up, right? It's looking for opportunities and kind of having that desire and passion. And it's, it kind of just finds its way, in my opinion. Like, if you really work at it and you're passionate about it, you'll find a way. You'll find an opportunity if you're always looking and thinking well, and about it. And, it. and it's interesting because, I mean, honestly, Jeff, since we had lunch back in November, I've told your story about Gent Dental I don't know how many times <laughs> because I'm just like, I hate the dentist and I can't right. believe how inconvenient it is. And like, explain to the listeners, 
like so yet you, you kind of brushed over it about the you oh, know, hours and stuff but like explain like how you translate that into the business model because i think it's so fascinating when you really go okay well because like most people say well dentist office isn't worth anything because it goes literally go goes right back to that ad agency model which is what you described because they're working and they're trading dollars for hours and then if they leave then they don't have a job or they don't have a, the company oh, so. do you know what well they can sell another dentist but do you know what the deal so you can work your whole you know life let's say you work 20 years and what you what you sell it for? You sell for eighty percent of the of what you collect in a given year. That's what you yeah. sell it for. I'm That's like, crazy. Hey, so like, if you're doing a million a year, uh, and, and I'm talking about revenue, right? Let's say so yep. let's, yep. a good dental office maybe does about a million. That's probably pretty good for a, a dental office. You're gonna sell the thing for eight hundred grand. I'm like, God damn. That's like, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not like necessarily doesn't you know. It's probably an earnout too, right? <laughs> or no, like you have to yeah, work, you have, you have to work for it, bro. Yeah, kind of sorry. Well, yeah, you know what they do is they typically buy it, but then they'll say, but I need you to stay on for a year because I need you to make a transition. And so I, I don't know. It just, it's, it's, um, it, it didn't seem that exciting to me, but, and I just think consume, we just felt like consumers would love what we're doing. And, and it has, we're like in every major, well, I say every major, but most of the big companies here in Utah, we started, we got into all of them and all this, they call them silicone slopes companies. All the high tech companies were basically every one okay, here. So, so like that. Well, explain. So explain to the listeners. So, so how did you take the old dentist model and then actually change it from like the timings and explaining it how to like how you're going to the company? So I think because I think it's just it's just genius. It's kind of a disruptive idea, meaning that you know dentists are still doing their thing and that's great. It's just kind of a different idea. It's like we're delivering a different way, and I don't think it even really. Matter of fact, I'd argue so we're not even hurting the dentist. We're kind of creating a. a a better, more or health. So we're just increasing more dentistry. Yep. What's happening is, so what happens? We go into a business, we meet with HR, and we say, "Hey, look, let me just come to your and just you have a dental insurance. It covers preventative. It covers your exam, which includes X-rays and teeth cleaning. So that what, just what you do, an oral hygiene, an appointment when you go to dentist office. And so we said, why don't we just go there and we'll do them in your office? And we sh- we showed them how we could do it. And um, then we started once we hit the you know, a few big companies and everybody started jumping on, you know, Sinclair oil. And we have a lot of nationwide companies too, Skywest airlines. And so we, once we show them that, that people wanted to do it so that HR people would send a, an email from us and they'd sign up, they go, Holy mackerel. Everybody was signing up that, I mean, they get 20, 25% of the company was signing up, which is pretty, you know, you go to it 2000. <laughs> That's a lot. So we're doing like eight or nine people an hour um, with a dentist, a whole bunch of hygienists. And so we realized there was a big need for it. People really want it. We had, I had a single mom come to me. She goes, you know, I have four kids and I can come bring them to the office. And we did our whole family in one hour because, you know, most offices are going to have one or two hygienists an hour, mm-hmm. seven or eight. And so we, we're just saving people tons of time and they were getting people to come that normally wouldn't go. So we found is 80% of the people that come um, to sign up to come the, the days that we're there have not been a dentist in over two years. So we're finally, we're creating a whole new market. <laughs> we're basically people that weren't going are now going. Mm-hmm. And so now we're getting a whole bunch of people going and then we can do the basic dentistry that can be like, if they have cavities, we can do it there or a crown or we do teeth whitenings too, by the way. So we want to give them a confident smile. Um, <laughs> we do Invisalign so we can get teeth straightening because we go every quarter, we can kind of watch them and, and see them. So we're kind of getting this clientele and base that we come every quarter back to the business. And then we get, and then every six months you get your checkup. So we're seeing the same people over and over. And then if they have more complicated things, we'd refer that to the dentist. But we're finding people that just haven't been in two years. Now all of a sudden they're going and now they have work that needs to be done and we can, we can do a, a lot of it. And then we can 
refer out what we, what we can't do that's more complicated, uh, meaning that you know, it needs to be done in an office. So we're actually increasing health and awareness and mm -hmm. people do more preventative and therefore we're increasing the dental share in, in our market. We're just getting new business, if that makes sense. So you can just hear the passion in your voice. And I think, like I said, the reason I've told that story so many times is because it's just awesome. <laughs> and, and you can hear the fact that you're having fun while you're making money. And, you know, I'm just curious, like when you look at these different companies that in the different industries and the, the total spectrum of the things that you've talked about on a daily basis, like what do you, is it creating things and disrupting markets that's fun for you? What's your definition of fun? And then what happens when you're no longer having fun and how do you mitigate damage? I think uh, for me, the, the fun part is, is twofold. One is creating value. Like it's so fun to me to, that we just had this idea and it's working. I'm like, you know, you go to some of the biggest companies in our Valley and they're all signing up with us. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, one of the largest companies we have is called Vivint and having them, you know, one of the largest companies in, in the Valley that's successful, you know, worth a few billion they bought by Blackstone, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. It's a killer company nationwide and they go, yeah, this is great. Like, why wouldn't we do it? And having them say, why wouldn't we do it? And why hadn't somebody done this before? It's pretty exciting. And then to serve the customer, have the customer say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, we, and the wonderful testimonials we get and how appreciative they are for our service. That just drives the heck out of me. And then to see our employees grow. And, you know, we have a lot of people, most of our employees are women and, and, to see them grow and tell them how much they appreciate, you know, they, gosh, I've never been a manager before and teaching them something in their trade, how to be a manager and people have this untapped talent and to see them go from managing nobody to several dozens of people and, and perform and do well. That's exciting too, that we can mentor and help people become managers. You know, as if we've done it over the years, we can not though I, I still have a ton to learn, but we can pass that on to them and help them grow. So I think seeing customers, appreciate what you do and love it and give us great response and help us be better and to offer more services and do it better. And then number two, seeing your employees grow. And when you're a growing company, obviously you can provide more opportunities for people to grow because they can get management opportunities and, and promotions. And so those are two things I think drive me. How and do so, you? So growth ahead. really is, is yeah, yeah. what it's all about for me. Growing fast. I love growth. I love people growing. I like the company growing. It's exciting. Growth, growth to me is what I love to do. So what happens, you know, do you have like an internal gauge of, of like, okay, I'm kind of maybe reaching the end of, you know, my passion or, or you know, maybe not passion, but the, the fun line here or you know, how do you determine like, you know, now is it, is it a market timing or is it an exit timing or value timing or is it just, you know, a personal, you know, enjoyment timing? Because I think the, the reason I ask that is you know, so many people, it's too late because they burn out and then they can't do the hard stuff. That's a good point. One thing I tried to, I think in my opinion, most people go to work because they want to grow. They want to feel like they're providing value. Mm. And so I kind of have a broad, you know, I, I know that Todd, the CEO of Vivint said, you know, he goes to work every day and, and, and tries to create value. And so that's what I try to do is, and if you start feeling like you're not creating value or you don't want to create value, like you're kind of done and burn out, you're starting to get that direction. I think it's a good time to, so that's one trigger for sure, because if, you, if you're not passionate, excited about it, you absolutely should get out because that's what's going to drive the whole company is your passion. I think the, the way I look at things is, is I kind of look out ahead and think, you know, here, partly for me, it's like once it gets too big, it's just not fun for me anymore, you know, once it gets too big. So I think I'll know about that when that timing is, you know, if 
but right now I'm just having a good time and I'm just trying to build value so that any, at any time along the way, we could exit, right? Because I say, look, we're creating good value. We've structured this company the right way and there's just always value being created. And so we could exit any time, you know? Well, I think you just hit on a huge note um, that, you know, kind of a couple of different um, ways is because I, so many times I see where the entrepreneurs burnt out and then they didn't do this to create value and to be able to exit at any time. And then it's just too late. And you know, what are some of the things that you have done or do or recommend or wish you would have done to make sure that you can pull that ripcord whenever you want? Was there, you know, people that you've met with or, you know, the financial, what, like, what is the way, you know, obviously the, the, the stuff that you said about, you know, continuing to create value for the customers and that kind of stuff and growth is like an important thing, but is there other stuff that you have done so that way when the opportunity arises or you, f you know, feel that triggering event that you are ready? Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things to be thinking about. One is, I think, remember I'd mentioned before, I think when you're in startup mode, you, you're not thinking about exiting at that point. Well, you're thinking down the road, but it's not, there's not the value there. And so you're trying to create value so that down the road you can. When you get to a company where you're making a lot of money, I think it can kind of work against you if you have all your eggs in one basket. It's like, it's like going out and buying Apple stock, right? Like that's mm -hmm. I don't know that one particular, but you know, obviously that's going to go up and down, up and down. So, but if you have every single thing in your company and you have a lot of value and let's say that you could literally retire off it, you know, easily. My opinion is that you're better off to take a piece off the table, even if it's a, um, a smaller piece, and not have that stress of like you have everything in this one company. I think, in my opinion, and, and I, there's a varying opinion on this, but you should probably take some off the table at some point so that you can, you know, take care of your family. And that's just the way I look at it. People probably look at different. No, I think you, you bring up a really good point, but you know, I think um, that brings up a, a kind of a piggybacking question for me because I even spoke in front of a group today that has very substantially um, big size companies and, you know, private equity ready, you know, or the size and stuff like that. But, you know, even kind of like, I think a lot of people can relate to your passion and your enjoyment for your people and your customers. What, you know, there's a lot of horror stories out there about people coming in there, they, you know, quote unquote, want to take some chips off the table, but it totally goes the different direction, right? Someone comes yeah. in, it's either ownership or you know, majority or, you know, they bastardize the culture or the customers or the model and all these things. How do you, how do you avoid something like that? Or, you know, how have you avoided it? Well, I think you need to take enough off the table. You know, my buddies from York, uh, I'll clean it up a little bit. He said, you know, you kind of want to get your FU money. So you kind of make sure there's enough that it's substantial so that if things do go south, you're okay financially, if that makes sense. In other yep. words, yep. you may have lost a lot on the table, but, but, but you, you know, you, um, I mean, there could have been more there, but you know, you were able to do it. The other thing is when we did it the first time, we well, actually both times we had, um, they were minority. Um, oh, so, you know, okay. there are probably, but I think once you go to majority, I think you're kind of it's kind of probably time to somewhat check out. I mean, well, not that you couldn't work there, but I think that you know, once you go to majority, then if they don't do it the way you want, it was like, oh well, you know, I got a great payday, and you know, it, it's their company, and so they can, it, it's their decision. So at some point, you know, once once they buy the majority, you have to realize, well, they're they're the majority, so that that can happen, and um, it's something that you have to be prepared that could happen. And so, both you're doing minority, the nice thing is you you hopefully can control that as far as at least culture and things like that. There's probably some triggering events, even as a minority that they can, in other words, where they have some, you know, some veto power over some yep. things. But that's but probably more like just selling the company, things like that. You should have control of the board and you know, the, the kind of things you mentioned shouldn't happen, you know, because you can control that. 
Well, I think that's, you know, there's a lot of assumptions and, you know, like all these private equity firms like, well, we like majority, but I think to your point, if I'm hearing it correctly, is if you're creating value and you're doing the things that you want to, you can go find the person that wants minority. There's a lot that want minority, by the way. There's a, there's a lot of companies like that. I've I think it's false everybody. notions that everybody wants the majority because that's what everybody says, you know, because there's there are the people. Right. There. No, there's quite a few that'll take that. They'll, they'll do the minority. And I, I think that in, in an exit, I think if I, when I think of minority, I'm like, I want to stay on for a longer, but I just want to take some chips off the table. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to, to sell majority and say, well, I'm going to take some chips off the table, but then I give it the majority. Well, it, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, once you do that, once you cross that threshold, then, you know, you have to realize that you were not in the majority. And so um, things like that can happen. So you have to prepared to make sure you have enough chips off the table that you're okay with walking away at some point. So then, you know, after you do a couple, you know, and is that what you did with that one, uh, one of the business with a couple minority rounds of PE firms? And then, you know, what's the, what's the ultimate, you know, bundled wrap to sell? Is it, you know, I think you said you sold one to a public company or is it, you know, how do you then get everybody what they want? And are these minority um, people coming on board with timelines and, you know, return expected? Sure, yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's the downside to it. It's like you get to realize once you start there, that then the clock start ticking and, you know, people are expecting something down the road, maybe five years and some of you have it contractually in five years, they kind of have the option to, you know, make something happen. And so I think, um, I think you have to realize that once you take money, then you, you do, you are kind of married to these guys now, you know, and, and you have mm-hmm. responsibilities. So there's, there's some downside to it too, or certainly some responsibilities now to doing it. So I think some people, you know, what I think they know their personalities, they know themselves. They say, you know what? I just want to sell out. I'm done. You know, so there's different, there's varying reasons for people wanting to, to exit and, and, and get out. But um, for me, it's like, if you don't feel like you're adding a lot of value anymore, or you just feel like you need to get some ships off the table, combining those together is tough, you know, thinking that through. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think that you always need to think about value first. Am I creating value? Do, am I enjoying being part of this? And there's market conditions too. You might say, guys, there's a lot of risk now. And I probably, you know, it might be a good time for me to take some money to, because I think the risk factor is high, you know, and mm-hmm. there's competitors and, and there's probably partnering somebody bigger maybe makes sense because I, you know, all this thing I built may go away if I, you know, if I'm not competitive. And so um, you have to look at market conditions too as well. How is it, you know, like, as you've done the minority stuff, I'm assuming because there's this emotional factor of all this stuff, right? Because you're so bought into these babies, especially you with creating these things. I mean, it's your, it's your second child and, and you're so tied into it with your personality and your thoughts and ideas and you're like an artist. So, you, you know, what is the experience you've had with these different journeys? Like, with the emotional transition? I mean, did it take you a while while you had the company? How did you, you know, or did you have the next idea from each of these um, stepping stones that it was easy for you? I mean, like how, how did you get, cope with that? I think it's very hard emotional. I think, but I think that's probably the mistake of a lot of people too, is they get too emotionally involved and they're not, they're not thinking about it clearly. You know, they, they, you know, I think you need, I think you need to have some people help. I think whether it's an eye banker or, you know, somebody that's kind of can look can look at this more objectively and help you because I think people make too many emotional decisions in these things and they're not thinking clearly, you know, it's their baby. So they think it's worth more than it really is. That's not, that's not realistic, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, and so they get too emotional about it and they, and they have to, I think you need to, that's why I thought it was helpful to me to have some outside folks help me and maybe a, a mentor or somebody else has gone through this, talk them through and just try to talk to you straight about it, you know, and say, Hey, here's the deal. And that was very helpful to me to have some people that are, that can look at this not emotionally to help you make decisions. Cause I think that's a big mistake people make is they get too emotional about it 
they're not really they're not being logical either you gotta have the logical side of it too what's the reality you know, what's real the reality of the situation yeah i mean it's a and you know especially you've had the experience where you you, you grow and the experience where you know you do it once and it's it, it can be like literally traumatic <laughs> because they didn't think about any of that stuff yes and so it helped helps going through that and i've had good advisors you don't have the same attorneys for all my deals like the same exact guys so i know them really really well and that's been helpful to have a lot of the same advisors that i trust almost as friends not just you know i literally had that kind of relationship with them and that's maybe I don't know if that's unique or not, but that's one thing good about being in different industries. At least I had the same attorney and you could talk straight to me and I had the same CPA. And so it was helpful for them to, you know, kind of look at things logically and talk to them. And I had so a couple mentors that had spot and sold companies that could help me. And uh, some of the private equity guys I work with, um, they had a lot of value. You know, they were very, very helpful. And, you know, and, then, and a good board is really, really helpful. You know, the bigger you get, the more, it's, the more a board can be helpful. So I think the board can really help you be level-headed about a lot of these things and help you not look at them emotionally and get a lot of, different opinions before you make your decision. So having a good board, have good advisors, and then, you know, and then having an eye banker. I mean, I just felt I had a lot of advice and help. Um, still had to make a decision at the end of the day, but it was helpful to have a lot of different viewpoints before making decisions. Mm-hmm. I think it will, you're using other people's experience to be able to judge right. it instead of have to using the, the hard, knock, uh, yeah. hard school way of doing it. <laughs> right. For sure. So, you know, as we're wrapping up here, Jeff, I mean, You've got, because of all the different things we've talked about and all the I mean, good experience that you've had, is there something, I mean, and you just, you know, dropped a bunch of amazing stuff right there. Do you, is there one thing that you want to highlight that we talked about? Or if there's something that we haven't talked about that you want to kind of, you know, bring to light, what would it be? Well, ironically, it's almost like it's a paradox, you know, what we've been talking about, about thinking about the exit. stuff like that. I think people think about the exit too much and not creating value. So I think the number one thing is, is keep your priorities straight, which is, Look, all the best companies I've seen, I've met a lot of guys that have been successful in, the, in this valley. You think of lots of these high-tech companies, the ones that have been the most successful are the ones that are passionate about what they're doing. They're really cr- focused on creating value first and you know, trying to win the marketplace. And then you th- start thinking about exit and other things um, as part of the process and you do it by thinking ahead and, and, and if you think of you know doing strategic planning and thinking about a year out or two years out and think you know I always have quarterly offsites and yearly offsites we think about those then but you know then then you get, a, get your nose down the grindstone you focus on value so I think number one always focus on value and building a company that you can be you know you're taking care of the customer doing all, all those things are the most important thing and then the the exits will work if you do that but if you try to think of exit first they just don't doesn't work. You know, we, you don't create value in focusing on the exit instead of focusing on taking care of customers. And that's when people I think screw up. Well, it's interesting. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. However, I think you've got a unique dynamic that I think, you know, I want to maybe ask you one last question, which is how do you balance those two? Because I so many times, Jeff, that I see people don't think about the exit as well. So like you maybe. I mean, I don't know if it's circles or people that you know that that's, you know, and it's kind of that the tech world where grow to sell, grow to sell, grow to sell. And I do agree with that. But then there's this whole other sector of mid-market America that it's grow passion. It's my life. And it might be a 20, hundred million dollar, you know, whatever size business that, right. but it's all their life. How do you balance? Cause you mentioned like five, you know, 10 minutes ago that it's, you also have to think about it logically. So, you know, what have you done that like literally allows you to balance the value creation, the fun, the enjoyment and the logic behind it? Well, I think I, um, we always, uh, I always focus on priorities and I write those down and then I just really are disciplined to that. 
um, my priority is always number one, building a great team. And then number two is to build value for whatever we're doing. That's number two. And then number three, I think about, oh, hey, there's this financial side to it that's really important. Like we have to actually make money. So I do those that order, build a team first. So I, I don't forget any of them, by the way. So some people, like I said, like to your point, you make a great point. Well, yeah, but some people, you know, focus on that instead of, you know, they focus on just building value, building value. They only think about, well, what the exit going to look like. And um, so as part of that, you know, making money part, I think about the whole thing from like, oh, by the way, we need to be cash flow positive. That'd be really nice. <laughs> right. then, you know, then what's the next step? What's the next step? And some people don't worry about cash flow positive because they're focusing on, you know, these high tech companies folks on just, build, you know, depends on what your strategy is. Uh, my last business I've been in, it was like, we never made money at, at Severian because we were, it was like, just build, 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 grow, grow, grow. And, and, you know, don't worry about making money. Well, that'll happen later. And the company that bought us made a lot of money off what we did, our technology. Uh, the last companies I've been in, I've been more about, you know, it's been more like, like a Warren Buffett kind of a, a business, which is, okay, we're going to actually make cash flow. And that's, you know, <laughs> and some businesses have been more about, you know, more of a, so the goals have been a little bit different, but, but as part of that, I think about, oh, now how would I exit? What would that look like? And how would I govern the company to, to get to, to do that? Even like the way I set the corporation, how would I do that? So, so I would, somebody wants to acquire us, what would, how, would it be easy for them to do that based on how we set things up? So I think about that as in that bucket, you know, as part of that. But yeah, you have to think about all of the above. Like those are three areas, I, the big, big areas I think about. Yep, and yep. Financials. But that to me, it's like the third priority, but it's not like I don't do it. It's still a priority. It's like top three. Do you, do you realize that in, through your experience that if you have that stuff in order and you've kind of got that plan, then you can almost kind of forget about it as well? That's exactly, that's a great way to put it. That's, that's kind of my point, I guess, a little bit, which is yeah, that yeah. you're doing it the right way and you set up structure the right way and it kind of takes, the exit kind of takes care of itself if you plan for it. Really <laughs> Right. Like, 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 you know, when I went to buy Beehive Frick, I mean, the guy had been buying snowmobiles. It was like, it was such, it was so screwed up. I mean, it was like, he wasn't <laughs> thinking about it. He was just, it was just like this. He had this cookie jar and he put money in it and he'd take it, whatever he wanted. It was so screwed up. It was hard to even buy it, you know, because it was so, he hadn't thought through that at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, we try to think, I try to think of all three areas. Um, but like you said, it's important. I just, I just don't think you, I just don't think you screw up or that you change the priorities. I think it is one, mm -hmm. two, three, and that mm -hmm. is, you know, however you want to do it, but the exit is not number one, mm -hmm. but it has to be thought of right to your point. It's, that doesn't mean it's not important. Number three, but it's, it, but you, it is three, it's not one or two. And, but it's one of those, like you said, it's almost liberating because if it's planned for and it's technically built and you, you talk right. about it, but then you can just go have fun and build value. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I literally feel at any point we could just sell it like, Oh, I want to sell today. Okay, great. We've set it up properly. We can show value. We can show, you know, we can see how it could be a win for somebody. Um, we're not planning it right now, but it's funny because um, when I sold Severian, they came to us, which is awesome. It was so awesome, right? They come to you and say, hey. And it was funny as we had, we said, oh, we think we have this other guy that's interested in this too. And then that weekend we went and talked to that company and they said, yeah, we're interested. And so then we were able to go back to them and say, you know, we have somebody else that's interested in too. So we'll kind of work with both of you guys. What's funny is the very next week they said, hey, you know what? We're not interested anymore. We, we of course, didn't disclose that to them. Hey, they're not interested anymore. We didn't say anything. We just, we, yeah. you know, we didn't lie either. If they would have asked us, I would have said, yeah. They're yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> but it went so fast that they didn't know that they were out. And so it really created a, a more value because, you know, they knew somebody else looking at us. And, and, you know, we probably could have been talked to more people too, by the way. So there was value 
for other people would be interested, but we, we kind of created a little bit of competition. So it was nice that it helped um, put together something where they wanted it and they paid top, top dollar. So it was just time to sell. And it was like, Hey, we knew it was going to be strategic and probably good timing. And um, the, again, we talked to the board, we talked to, you know, advisors. And after talking to a whole bunch of people, we said, yeah, this is the right thing to do. I, I think it's, it, you covered so much ground. And I, I think it's a, it's a ton of, a ton of good information. I mean, it's the, it's the balancing act, which you, you know, you've got enough experience to, to be able to, to, to do it successfully, which is awesome. And I, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Jeff. What's the, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Um, I'm at uh, Jeff at jetdental.com. Um, Jeff, J E F F at J E T D E N T A L.com. Thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Take care, Ryan. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Jeff. I'll tell you what, I really can't wait till his company, Jet Dental, comes into the Twin Cities because I would love to have my dentist show up right at my door and clean my teeth. Well, if there's any major takeaways besides that that I had with my uh, conversation with Jeff was right towards the end when we started talking about how you have to have it all planned, but if you have it planned, then you don't have to think about it. So knowing what your moves are going to be allows you to really then just focus on having fun, creating value, mentoring people, and doing all the stuff that you need to do, but also being aware and being prepped. So if the industry changes, if things happen, you get a uh, knock on the door from someone that wants to buy your company, you have all your ducks in, the, in a row and you know what you want and why. And I was really able to see how at peace he was because he knew those things and because he was prepped, he was able to really just enjoy everything that he was doing until it was either no longer fun or until he, or until he got the offer, until he sold his company. So having those three things in order and those priorities and always thinking about them, I think is extremely important and something that we should all strive for, which is why we're doing what we're doing at GEXP Collaborative, because if you have a growth and exit plan built, then you can go have fun and forget about all the other technical stuff because it's already done. So if you enjoyed the episode, go on iTunes, give me a rating. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.